is in the news. High-profile stories from business, technology, science, and media. We will look at what has happened recently, as well as what we expect to happen in the near future. Hi everybody, I'm Chase Raz, and this is Multi-New Media for the week of April 27, 2015. But I'm joined by Chris Ayers today, and we're recording a couple of days late on April 30th. And the reason is we've been uh, giving Microsoft a little bit of time to start and finish their Build 2015 conference. So joining me today, Chris. Hi, Chris. Uh, how, How have you been? I've been doing good, Chase. How are things? I'm good. You mentioned that you've had a few beers today, and I wish I were in that boat. It's been a long day. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, reminiscing with a, a developer friend of mine. We've been partaking of tasty beverages pretty much every week for about three years now. Oh, that means you're going to be so much more interesting than me today. <laughs> I will try not to giggle and laugh too much. <laughs> Okay, I'll do all the giggling and laughing. So, just starting off today, we have an in the news section, uh, or excuse me, an in the news segment, and really just want to point uh, all of our listeners uh, to the fact that Microsoft had their build conference this week, and we're going to be doing a special edition, and just want to run through uh, for for the folks out there what we're going to be talking about in this episode. And uh, we've really split things, um, as we were talking before, into two different areas. We've split things into the consumer side and what the build announcements mean for consumers and then for the development side. And so if we talk about consumers, we're going to talk about some of the news highlights uh, such as Windows 10, uh, Windows Phone, which of course is Windows 10 now, HoloLens, uh, Android and iOS applications, and Project Spartan finally getting a name. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that Everyone was getting a little tired of referring things as project this and project that. Well, what do you the the name that was announced is Microsoft Edge, and and we don't have to talk details yet because we're going to save that for later. But what do you think of the name? Well, Edge has actually been used inside Microsoft for quite a while. If you're a web developer and you're targeting different rendering engines, IE Edge was always the cutting edge rendering engine. You know, you could target IE eight, you could target IE nine or IE ten as a rendering engine, but Edge was whatever the current version is, and that's that's what I thought. I thought that um, yeah, uh, Edge was the rendering engine that they were using for Spartan, right? If we use old terminology, and and that's correct, right? Yeah. So Edge is going to be the cutting edge version. <laughs> so it's a rendering engine, <laughs> engine, and now the name of the browser as well. But you know, Google already has Chrome, so what are you going to do? Well, what Microsoft trying to do is steal everybody else's thunder. Well, oh, you have an iOS app. Bring it to us. Oh, oh we'll get into that in a little bit. When we Bring speaking of, when we talk about developer tools, uh, we'll cover things like the the .NET Core, Visual Studio, and um, and Visual Studio Code, the new offering uh, that Microsoft announced at Build. Uh, talk about a couple of Azure um, availabilities that are new, uh, trying to compete a little bit with some of the um, uh, some of the features that Amazon has, I believe, uh, what does Amazon have? It's called Glacier or something like that. Long-term data storage. I think so. I don't do a lot of the AWS and Azure currently. Uh, it's actually one of the things I'm starting to learn more about to start focusing on. You and me so. both. And and I think any of our listeners are going to enjoy that process because they'll get the point and laugh at all of our mistakes as we learn if they're a, a ahead of us. And if they're behind us on that curve, uh, we'll point and laugh at ourselves, and I think people are going to learn a lot from us and 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 our um, trial by fire of of learning these cloud services just by jumping in head first. But after the Azure uh, bit, we'll we'll close with some announcements about Office APIs and talk about what that means. Okay. All right. So let's um let's go ahead and take our first break a little bit early, and then we'll be right back on the other side of this break, and uh, we'll jump into the consumer implications of Microsoft's Build 2015.
All right, thanks for staying with us. We're here moving on to the products and services that Microsoft announced in Build 2015, really the consumer aspects. And Chris, um, you and I had talked previously. We want to start with one of the bigger, more watched elements of any type of Microsoft announcement, and that is Windows 10. Yeah, um, I'm actually looking forward to it. Um, I'm one of the few people probably that really isn't opposed to Windows 8 or 8.1. You know, the the use case I think they optimize for is you hit start and you start typing for an application. I hated searching through menus for stuff. And ever since I got my Surface Pro, the the touchscreen interface actually works really well for some of the apps. So you're, I, you're running I'm, a, a Surface Pro 3, correct? Yeah, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the evolution of that touch interface because I, I do miss the old start menu. So I'm, I'm hoping that bringing that back with Windows 10 and bringing in some of the the voice recognition stuff with Cortana and some of the other improvements to Windows 10 that uh, it'll hopefully be one of the best Windows I, I, OSs know, ever. I, I think I agree with you 100% there, which I try not to do as often as possible, right? I like a little bit of friction and ideas. <laughs> well, everybody has their preferences, but, but you and I have the same idea here because um, I have a Surface Pro 2. I haven't upgraded to a 3, and I, I probably won't. I'll wait till a 4 comes out or something. But the idea of continuum of... Uh, you know, the device knows when I attach a keyboard and goes into desktop mode or it knows when I detach the keyboard and, and take the mouse off and now we're in a touch-friendly mode. And I think that's going to be so important because I'm, I'm like you. I didn't really dislike Windows 8 or Windows 8.1 at all. And in fact, a couple of episodes ago, uh, Christopher Woodward and I were talking about that. And, and, you know, we were referencing back that Microsoft's big blunder was Vista. And I'm thinking that whole time that, oh, people are going to say you're forgetting about 8 and how bad 8 is. But, you know, the reality is I never thought 8 was that bad. Now, in hindsight, I can see that it wasn't the best thing ever. But I no, didn't the have... problem that Microsoft has always had is they change things up every other OS. So 95 really kind of shook things up. From It was a huge evolution from 3.1. And there were so many problems at the beginning because of drivers. And, and the later versions of 95 and 98 kind of resolved all that, and it right. was, like, super stable. Me came out. They started <laughs> mixing things up. Windows started, Me. Yeah, that, that started mixing things up a little bit, and it was nothing but problems. And then they – the next version, XP, perfect. was, you know, kind of – For the time. Awesome. It, it was perfect for the time. Vista came along. They changed the driver model. Like they changed the way printers and cameras and all the other myriad of devices that you were plugging into Windows, the drivers worked. And so half the stuff that you had didn't work anymore because they didn't have Vista drivers. They only had XP drivers. So Vista kind of sucked because it didn't have great driver support. It had uh, memory bugs. You know, it, had, it had some issues. Windows 7 came along. Vista had been out for a while. It used the same driver model as Vista. And so there was much bigger driver support for all the devices. So seven kind of just worked because they kind of resolved the issues with Vista and had been out for so many years that everyone was releasing updated drivers to work with that. Eight came out for the most part. I think it used the same driver model as windows seven, but they a little bit different, a little bit. A, I, a I don't little know bit the different, but then they also pushed air. Uh, you know, they pushed some graphic improvements and a lot of the lower end PCs that didn't have higher end graphics were having problems. Right. And they also changed the start menu, and, and people were really got, hating that. Got rid eight. of it initially, and that, and that was a big shock for me. I, I love the start menu, I love the taskbar, and I love tiles. But you know, I'm I'm much more iffy about the tiles than the start menu. Do you realize if you just drag a tile to the bottom of your screen, it doesn't close? It's still running in the background like an app on an iPad or a tablet. Yes. You have to drag it to the bottom and hold it for three seconds till it flips over. And that, to actually close. That drives me nuts because it just, yeah, that, that type of time. Right. In hindsight, I can see that, that Windows 8 and 8.1 weren't the best things ever. But again, I've never had an issue with them uh, while moving forward in time. Well, but, I, I think this also ties to they were competing with Mac and iOS trying to com compete against this mac os and ios kind of unifying and they kind of unified windows with a tablet and phone os but you know a little bit mac, early nobody else is unified right but i think that microsoft kind of jumped the gun a little bit and threw it out there like hey right. we got it and 
people didn't get it. But that's a great thing about Windows 10 is now they seem to have it, and they're the only operating system that has it. Continuum, Cortana, Universal Apps, they're bringing Arrow back, which, oh, every fanboy out there, right? <laughs> it's probably happy that Arrow's coming back. That's, you know, the the Arrow glass where you could see through the, the um, title bar of your, your Windows. Uh, that has been missed sorely for a very long time. Um, what what do you think about Cortana? Um, I have a Surface, and there are very many times where I'm interacting with it with touch, and I'm treating it like an iPad. I also own an iPad. So I'm, I'm interacting with it with the same way, and I just want to hold this Windows button or hit a button and do some voice stuff. Well, you know, I, I, have a, I have a Windows phone, and that's why I'm asking what your perception of Cortana is, because on Windows phone... I just hold that search button and she pops up and says, you know, what can I find for you? And is ready for voice input. And I think the desktop is a perfect place for something like Cortana or Siri or Google now to I have land. no interaction with Cortana on my desktop or my tablet because I haven't installed Windows 10 yet. The only interaction I have with a voice thing is Siri on my iPhone and my iPad. So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it. Right. Uh, do, you, do you see yourself actually using it or just something you look forward to playing around with a little bit? No, I use stuff like that all the time. Um, I mean, yeah, it's easy to open a browser, you know, have it open Google or Bing or, you know, whatever your default search web page is and start typing into the search field what you're searching for. But a lot of times my use case is I hold the button and I say, hey, search for this. Yeah. I don't have to type anything. I don't have to click anything. I just hold a button and I say search for X and it goes in Google's or Bing's X and the page loads and I don't have to do anything. Just as common. Yeah, just as commonplace as that is on phones and tablets now. Yes. I think it'll be commonplace on the desktop. I, I, I think that the issue is going to be hardware. Um, a lot of people might have headsets for, you know, Skype calls or... Or, or gaming, you know, chat interactions. I don't think a lot of people have a desktop mic sitting there or, you know, maybe so, something to just record their voice so they hit a button on their desktop and start recording. I think it'll be great on laptops and tablets because those have built-in microphones. But desktops, I don't know how prevalent Cortana use will be. Maybe we'll see you know, a at spike. The beginning. Yeah, maybe we'll see a spike in webcams or a spike. You know, a lot of monitors have um, have webcams and 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 microphones built in now to try to emulate that laptop and tablet and smartphone feel. But I want to kind of combine Windows 10 with with the next topic on the list we were discussing earlier in the intro. Uh, Windows Phone, right, which is going away, and Windows 10 is just going to be powering phones, so it'll be called you know Windows 10 on mobile or Windows 10 for mobile. Um, there, there are a couple of issues that we want to talk about Windows 10 on phone and small tablet devices. And the first is the ability that Microsoft announced during Build 2015 to use the phone as a PC. So the whole, the whole concept of that wraps around another issue called universal apps. So Chris, please explain for, for me and for everyone else. What I mean, we know the basics of what a universal app is, but what's the big deal about this so-called universal app? Well, I mean, looking at kind of what I can see on some of the the application stuff, I, I have not written a lot of universal apps or Windows phone apps or Windows store apps, so I, I, I can't speak directly to that. But looking at kind of what the announcements are saying and, and the, what I've understood about Windows store applications – they kind of run in a sandbox and they kind of run on top of a, a, a framework, kind of like the, you know, a .NET type framework. Or um, if you're from a, a Mac or Unix world or even a Windows world, the JVM, like a Java framework. So they run on top of this, this thing and they're kind of sandbox and they kind of live in their own little world. Um, with a universal app, you have one application and, you know, when you run it on a Windows desktop, you get this beautiful interface with menus and, and, and buttons that's designed for being interacted with with the mouse. And, and the that's keyboard. windowed just like every other, you know, application, right? It's right. And when you run it on a phone, it, it's now kind of optimized differently for it's going to be touch the interfaces. Full with, screen. Yeah, a smaller screen and, and, and scrolling with your fingers. 
So it, it, it's still kind of in the same sandbox. It's still kind of installed the same way through a Windows Store. It's still kind of running on on some type of you know virtual machine in the background, either you know like a, a .NET type framework. But it's adapted for the interface you're using it on. I like this because I think it addresses a couple of different issues. One, the companion app. Nobody really likes companion apps because I have this full, you know, full-fledged software and now I have to get some companion app for my mobile device and it has a limited set of functionality. Um, you know, I, I think this idea of saying, here's this application and it automatically, uh, you know, there's some code work involved, but once that's done, it automatically scales between a desktop, a tablet, a phone, and even the Xbox, you know, if, if applicable. And uh, this concept of using that universal app of saying, if I have a phone and we know Microsoft recently, even way before build has been working on, um, has been working on mobile uh, technologies for monitors. So wireless communication between phones and tablets and monitors, as well as some uh, innovative cables that, that are, you know, easy for phones to power to connect large monitors to them. So if I take a, a Windows 10 phone in the future and I connect it to a monitor and a keyboard and a mouse, I'm still I'm not going to get the desktop. But when I open, let's say, um, Microsoft Edge, which is the new browser we were talking about that we formerly referred to as Project Spartan, if I open Edge, then instead of showing Edge on you know on my screen like it would on the phone, it will then project onto that monitor and show even though it, it won't be windowed because it's not on a desktop, it's being powered by a phone, it will show the interface of a desktop window that's able to use the mouse and the keyboard input if I have those connected through Bluetooth or some other method. And honestly, I think that's quite frankly ingenious and much better uh, than the solution a couple of years ago where some manufacturers uh, manufacturers were saying, okay, here's your phone, and when you want it to become a, a computer, you plug it into this empty shell that looks like a laptop, and voila. And I, th the, I think this is much a much better solution. The examples I was seeing was like Excel and PowerPoint, that they hooked up a monitor and keyboard and mouse to the phone, and they were able to use PowerPoint and like insert pictures taken from the, the phone's camera. So you were able to, you know, move, move photos over. You were able to get, like go into the messaging app or the email app and copy out text and, and paste it into the, the spreadsheet or the, the PowerPoint. And you were able to do, you know, a little bit more than you expected when it was hooked up to everything, but it wasn't the same interface. Now, you know, I think and there's some Android phones that, that did this a couple of years ago right. where you, you could hook it up to a monitor and it would, you know, slide it into a laptop or something. It would act like a laptop but be just very low powered. So, I mean, this is, I think, an evolution on that idea. And so much better than having to sell an empty shell of a screen and a keyboard. Um, because, you know, what we're talking about here, and of course the interface is going to be different than, we're, we're not talking about getting Excel and Word, the full suite, um, these are the touch-first apps um, that that we're talking about. So uh, we haven't seen those applications on um, Windows, really. I think there may be a few. I know Outlook is already baked into the Windows 10 developer preview, but we haven't seen too many of these and what they're going to look like. So, uh, But just to have that experience of the app that you're running on your phone is going to be the same app that runs on your desktop, these touch-first versions of office and then you would be or, or whatever other program third party included and you can get that desktop interface that's friendly with the mouse and keyboard that's going to be so great for people who travel or people who are in very remote areas and can't have desktops or laptops because of cost and things like um, uh, you know power instability or data connection instability where a desktop computer or laptop just doesn't make sense I I, I Personally, I if I had a monitor and keyboard and mouse, I'd have it hooked to a PC, and I would sync my data between my phone and my my desktop. So I'd open it with Dropbox or OneDrive or you know something like that, and open it on the full desktop app. I don't envision myself personally 
having a dock for my phone. No, and I, you know, I don't mean this as a zinger, but then again, we're not, you know, we're not, you know, ten-year-old no. kids in emerging markets who, who this will be a, a gigantic step forward and solution for them in the computing. You know, I would prefer to have two or three computers and a couple of mobile devices running simultaneously, right. but, but the the power that this is going to give to some people who currently no, can't get that it's power. No, I very innovative. I just don't understand entirely the use case. And, and, you know, well, I do. For the business guy, is he going to carry around a phone dock or a laptop? No, no. What, what I was saying is I, I don't understand all of their use case, but I, I do think I understand yeah. the, the, the motivation behind it. And Microsoft very much is targeting the emerging and developing worlds with Windows 10 as well. They're not just focused okay. on the United States and Europe and China. Um, there's a lot of thought to um, Eastern Europe and Africa and remote areas and parts of Asia that are a little bit less technologically advanced, you know, so not Southeast Asia. Uh, yeah, I don't know where the, the different markets are targeted. Like, you know, as far as where Apple and Android and Windows Phone are, you know, where their hotspots are. What if you had, what if you had maybe, let's say a 12-year-old kid? Right, I know your son's older than that, but you know he's an adult. But if your son were twelve years old again right now, and you said, you know, I can buy this super high end phone with with a four or eight core processor, and you can use an old monitor of mine and have a keyboard and mouse and get them all customized and spec'd out, uh, you can do that and just use your phone because that phone is your primary device anyway. Right, if we're talking about a twelve year old these days, would that make sense even here in the United States or in Europe or somewhere where most people can afford to have a desktop as well? But no. no, still no, no for you. I, th- I think a, a 12 or 14 year old would want a, a PC that could play other games like League of Legends or Diablo or World of Warcraft. And I don't think I could run that off their phone. That's yeah, that's going to be a good point for, for people, especially who are in America, especially oh. when their other friends are playing those same games. Right. And they have a phone. But I, I do see a lot of sub-millennials that this is going to apply to because, uh, you know, I we would have to pull some surveys. But I don't see too many sub-millennials in on those types of games. Those tend to be viewed as the games that their parents play. Um, <laughs> well, and that's uh, admittedly, let me explain why, though. It, it's because most 12-year-olds right now don't have desktops. Um, uh, or if they do, they have desktops, but they also have phones if that makes sense. So a, a, a 12-year-old who has their own desktop is probably likely to have their own phone, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'm, I'm going to guess a 12-year-old's probably number one game would be Minecraft. And maybe. That's that's my number one game, <laughs> if I'm honest. It, it, it really is. Um, so, so we have Windows 10 and Windows Phone as a PC. I want to move into something else at the moment, though. Um, HoloLens. I'm still the, so excited about this. I, I don't know what everybody else's looked, sentiment is. It looked really cool, but and and it, technologically it's amazing. I, I'm I'm not gonna lie, it, it's really cool. But I can't envision coming home every day and then putting on a a headset. Uh, to, to be honest with myself, I can't envision coming home every day and putting on a headset. There's an old adage about Microsoft that you need to wait and give them three versions of anything for it to be perfected. So am I likely to go in on the first version of HoloLens? Yes, you are. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I am. You know, I was the same way with I was the same way with the Surface Pro as well, but I did wait until Surface Pro 2 because that first one was just too I'll use a weird word, too wonky for me. Um, yeah. I've actually heard the two is better than the three in some regards because of the uh, in, thermal in some, limiting. Yeah, in some regards, we have a we have that nice fan that actually works and has the space to work. Uh, we don't have Wi-Fi issues, but yeah, right. But your screen is so much better on the three. But with Hololens, yes, I'm likely to go in on the first generation. But I really do think what's going to happen in the evolution of Hololens over generation two, generation three, is that we're going to see a streamline of it, and it's going to simply like if you've ever used a Microsoft band and and everyone who listens knows I have one, <laughs> it's going to look like a band around your forehead pretty soon with glasses that poke down. And then finally, maybe version three or four, you know, it'll either be a pair of sunglasses so that it's acceptable or we'll have invented some brand new styling that that works, something we, we haven't imagined yet. And, and I do think that's within, you know, the four or five years it would take to get to version three. I do think it can happen that fast. So... 
for the the listeners who maybe didn't watch Build, uh, one of the things that they showed with the Hololens was they had a guy walking around his house at, or apartment or whatever, and they had a, a camera on stage that showed you what he was seeing, and he had pinned an a, essentially it's a full Windows 10 computer on your face, and he had pinned like a weather app of Malibu because he was planning on going to Malibu to a desk, like a little table. And it was there. And he walked around his room and he kind of looked down at it and then it would show up on the table and he looked away and he didn't see it. And he would take a, a video of like a movie playing hit. I think they played a movie trailer and he pinned it to a wall and it looked like a large screen TV stuck to the wall. And he, he looked away and he walked around his, his room and the TV scaled and still stuck to the wall and it looked like it had not moved. It looked like someone had put a picture or a, a flat screen TV right on the wall. And he was able to like touch the corner and resize it and launch, bring up the Windows 10 start menu and pick an app and launch it. It was hovering in his face and he pinned it to a wall. And... You know, to do this type of stuff, it has multiple cameras built into this band, and it has some speakers like that hang down by your ears a little bit, so you hear the sounds. But I think they took a lot of the lessons they learned from Connect on the 360 and the Connect on the Xbox One, and a lot of the algorithms they used for 3D modeling and and, and spatial awareness, and built it into this so that it could map the room you're in, know where the walls are, know where the edges are and be able to render a Windows 10 app pretty much relative to that wall position and, and make it look like it's a TV or make it look like it's a, a painting stuck on that wall. With every single thing you said, I was fighting the urge. I was fighting that little voice inside my head. And here's why. It was doing nothing but screaming, I want one, I want one now. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. It, it, it looked cool. It, it, it really looked innovative. Um, he, he went to his desk and he had a calendar pretty much sticking straight out of his desk, kind of like you would have a monitor sticking straight up out of your desk. He had just taken a calendar app and pinned it to his desk and kind of stuck it out like it was a monitor. And, you know, that stuff's cool, but I don't envision myself walking into the office and throwing on a HoloLens. Maybe, you, you know. Or, or, or walking in my front door and going, you know what? I don't need a big screen TV. I'm just going to use my HoloLens and pin it to the wall. I mean, sure, that's right. definitely something people could do. Why buy a projector? Why buy a TV? Why buy anything? Just buy a HoloLens and pin a virtual TV to your wall. Um, well, the other cool thing was he, he unpinned it and walked around his house doing stuff, and the, the, the TV followed him, the, the movie followed him, which is awesome. You know, if anyone's got to run into the kitchen the flip their the chicken they're cooking or right you, know, get you, a you can either pen it or it can go with you you can choose that and uh um you know again I, mean, I, I don't know why i'm thinking families here so 3d modeling but also families uh, i i grew up you right. know my parents and i had a sister so a family of four and the fights over the tv remote were horrendous i can just see so f- you know me me as an adult if i had kids saying all right i'm gonna watch this thing i'll sacrifice the you know the 55 inch tv you go, you kids go watch that. Uh, I'm going to be out in the man cave or doing whatever back in the office wearing these things. Or even better, hey, let's have all four family members sitting on the couch with hollow lenses watching different things. That's going to be creepy. Right. You, you you see what I'm saying? I don't envision this. No, and I, I don't I don't think it's going to be widespread <laughs> like that, like, like that vision that you're having there of here's here's a couple of people all at home watching this you know, looking through this thing. No, I, I do think it's going to be a more individual use case of we're working on 3D modeling or we're trying to go for some really highly productive um, uh, well, task well, or or gaming and, and things like that. They tried to show off some use cases. They, they had a student that um, uh, they were studying anatomy and uh, like they brought up a body that was like a, a 3D human body and they it, it expanded out and you saw like the bones and the muscles and the, the the organs and veins and stuff and they could walk around it and it was like a full 3D model and, and there was a globe it was a full 3D model of a globe it wasn't 
some little crappy image, you know, these are full 3D models and they could walk around them and look at them. And the other use case they had, it was in a professional setting, uh, an architect designing a building and can kind of walk through the building or, or, you know, use their hands probably to zoom it and, and look at it in, in different ways. I bet so, the people at Second Life are itching to get their hands on these too. Is that still a thing? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Every time I think it's dead and gone, I hear some other group who's all into Second Life, and I have to, you know, be that asshole who says, oh, "I hate to tell you this, but that thing's died like ten thousand deaths, and it's still around." Why are you bringing it up? Just let it die. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, it, if you don't mention it, it dies more. You know, I've taken that approach a couple of times on the show um, in news segments, and you know, you're right. I'm just. I'm 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 forgetting I'm forgetting the way of the wise old grasshopper and and I brought up something I shouldn't have. Um, but that's a good segue. So I, enough Hololens right now. What about uh, the last two items on our on our uh, list here for the consumer implications of one bringing the ability to easily port Android and iOS apps to Windows. Which by the way, don't read into this. That does not mean Android and iOS apps now run on Windows, as was you know so popularly circulated through the tech journalism world. Uh, that's not the case. It's easier to port them now. And then we'll talk about Microsoft Edge really briefly. So let's start with porting Android and iOS apps to Windows. Um, is that, I mean, are people going to do it? That's of course bit, they're going to do it. They Well, they use the example of... But they didn't King. make Windows phone apps, and they kept they, pulling them they, after they did. They use the example of King, the people who made Candy Crush. They said they're already using the technology to bring... Can't right. the Windows 10. But let's be clear about this. Microsoft went to them early with that technology. That is the only reason Candy Crush Saga ended up on Windows Phone because before that, I mean, the, the, the application didn't exist on Windows Phone until, what, a year, a year and a half after the game was popular and already losing its popularity or had already lost most of its popularity. Well, that's... Now, I know that app is still making something like $800,000 a day from what I hear, or maybe even a million or so. It well, is a ridiculous amount of money. Maybe it was already on the downswing, but the fact that they released it on Android and iOS and they didn't release it on Windows probably tells you some of the... De so I'm a developer, so I'm a probably err on the side of development rather than consumer. Do it. But the fact that a lot of major apps come out on iOS and Android are because the iOS and Android are one, probably their bigger targets, and two, probably pretty well understood as development targets. So if Windows 10 or Windows 8 or Windows Phone or whatever is not a target, it's either not a big enough market share or the effort of making the change is too high. So you're saying this portability now makes that effort reasonable for developers? Uh, conceivably. Like when, uh, as far as the segment during build that they demoed this, they did it from a developer standpoint and they loaded a iOS project, an Xcode project from a Mac, from iOS, that you load an Xcode and you build an Xcode and you deploy it to iPhone or iPad. They loaded that straight into Visual Studio and debugged it and ran it, just like a Windows 10 app. Well, like, then they practically opened have. Opened it and ran it and done. They have practically then brought Android and iOS apps to Windows. They just, well, they're still giving the control to the developer. And the the thing they're pushing is you can use your code. You can use, you know, if you're writing for iOS, the, the primary language is Objective-C. If you're writing on Windows, usually the primary code or, or language you're using is C-sharp yeah. or VB. So they're saying, hey, if you have an iOS app and you've written it in Objective-C, you can use your Objective-C and build a Windows 10 app. Like they, they, they've and the same for Java and C++ for Android yes, apps. Yes, yes, for the, for the Android apps. If I mean, yes, you can do C++ on iOS. Yes, you can do C++ on Android. But they've also said pretty much, hey, if you have Java and C++ and you're targeting Android, you can use that Java and C++ code and just recompile it and use it and make a Windows 10 app. If you don't I'm have to rewrite all your code and redo everything in a new way. Use what you have and the porting will be low. So if I'm if I'm a Windows user, tablet, small tablet, phone, whatever, 
do I have an expectation now that there is no reason for a developer to not uh, publish on Windows Phone other than if they just have some, you know, Android only or iOS only loyalty? Um, I mean, I, I know that with iOS, there was a, a slight bar to entry to, to get an app in the store. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you had to pay like $100 to be a developer. I think Android, they dropped it to like 25 I don't know what the the fee is to be a developer for Windows to release apps to the Windows store. But, you know, some people focus on one platform or are, they're focusing on Android and Wind, iOS and they might not want to focus on Windows. But it, it sounds like Microsoft is doing everything they can to lower that bar so that it's not a hurdle. Okay. It definitely sounds like they're making the effort to, I mean, how long did it take some of the higher end big name apps to come from iOS and Android to get to Windows? You have a Windows phone, don't you? Yeah, it took a very long time for the apps that are there. And uh, even in some segments like banking, they've been pulling apps that have been published because of, you know, lack of market. Well, there you go. So, I mean... I don't have a Windows phone. I have an iOS phone. I have an Apple phone. Pretty much anything or everything I want an app for, it's going to show up first on Apple on iOS. If it doesn't show up first on Apple or iOS, it's going to show up simultaneously on Apple and Android. Yeah. Like 90% of the time. Yeah, I think there's a lot of Android exclusives as well. But for the sake of time, I'm staring at this last item on the list, Microsoft Edge. And I find myself trying to find things to say about it to not oh. disappoint our listeners. Well, this is the same thing they're doing with iOS and Android. They are making a browser that says, hey, you have Firefox extensions that are cool. You have Chrome extensions and plugins that are cool. Guess what? We will support them. You can take your Chrome and Firefox extensions and bring them to iOS or bring in the IE Edge. Well, that's that's so much better than what I was going to say because I was going to say, yeah, we improved our rendering engine. By the way, for the folks who don't know, if we look at Internet Explorer 11, that is one of the best browsers ever made. And and Microsoft had been on that trajectory since Internet Explorer 9. Um, but 11, one of the best browsers ever made. And I think it's just this issue of a lot of people didn't like it because it didn't have extensions that they wanted and it didn't have some of the expandability that that other browsers had but mainly because it had the name Internet Explorer and it shared that in common with IE6. I I really think that's primarily the reason that Microsoft has to now have Microsoft Edge rather than coming out with the next Internet Explorer. So here's well one they had to drop Internet Explorer. It's been hated for years because of IE6. Well, IE6 when it's on way. IE7 when it's on way. IE8 when it's on way. IE9 they realized that IE 7 and 8 were so far out there away from the standards that all the other browsers were following and starting to follow from the World Wide Web Consortium, the W3C. But 9, uh, 10, and 11 are some of the most standards-compliant so browsers ever. 9 started to come back right. towards standards compliance. Um, it has a lot of issues. Like, I hate writing stuff for IE 8. IE 9 is better to a large degree but it's missing a lot of features and and one of the things that is nice about like Firefox and Chrome is they have very fast release schedules so they update all the time and they're called evergreen browsers when you launch them they want to update to the latest version and you're good the problem with i9 and 10 and 11 is they pretty much come out when a when an OS release comes out and that's part of the problem of being baked in, and, and Edge is trying to get the best of both worlds. If we can have this rapid right. release cycle, but also be baked into the operating system. Right. So IE9 was a pain still. It kind of had a lot of its own quirks and specific stuff. IE10 was really starting to close the gap on standards compliance. Instead of supporting Microsoft's extensions and stuff, it started really going standards compliant. 11 is really really good as far as standards compliance go but one of the things they did was uh, like 11's on Windows 8 and, and it's not Windows 7 also but on 8 like in desktop mode it doesn't support plugins 
and, and, and I think even on desktop mode, it might not support plugins. So, you know, it doesn't wait, 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 you, you mean, you mean that in, in full screen mode, it doesn't right. support plugins and that's right. But on right. desktop, you were, you're questioning whether does, desktop definitely does. You had said desktop both times, but so just to clarify, I meant, uh, I full, meant, full screen uh, does not support screen. the plugins, um, but desktop does. And yeah, it is a pain in the rear that the right. full screen does not support plugins. And here's something I figured out for my Surface. If you have no other browsers installed on your machine and you launch IE from the start menu, it will launch in Windows 8 mode. Uh, if, if you, you launch it, IE from this, right, right. It'll always do that unless you set another browser as if default. If you ever install another browser and set it as your primary browser and you launch IE from your your start menu, it'll launch desktop mode. Right, right. You don't have to worry about that behavior anymore in Windows 10. <laughs> Um, that's just one of the weird quirks of having two versions of IE running simultaneously. And that's yeah. one of those things. I didn't have any problem going into it, and I adapted very quickly. I use both on my tablet uh, on the Surface Pro 2. But, yeah, it's really awkward looking backwards uh, yeah. in, in, in hindsight. It's just a weird little thing. Um, and I definitely hope that that's tightened up with Windows 10. I mean, since they're... They're redoing the start menu. They're redoing the uh, the desktop mode. They're bringing desktop apps side by side with Windows 8 full screen apps. They're you know they're unifying a lot of stuff and making it consistent experience. So I hope that that same thing happens with with my you know Edge. Um, that I've seen screenshots of it. I haven't played with it on the installs, but it definitely looks pretty cool. The the way they're doing the tab interfaces and the way they're doing some of the the, the menus, uh, it's it's a little fresh feeling compared to Windows 10 and 11 or IE 10 and 11. So uh, I, I hope that that evolution uh, really works. Welcome back. So, uh, you know, we've talked about the consumer implications of uh, Microsoft's Build 2015 announcements. Chris, let's talk about some of the developer-focused um, issues. We were starting to do that with Android and iOS, but here let's let's start with .NET Core. .NET Core was announced to, uh, or, or rather it was released or is going to be released, I'm not sure which, I wasn't following it that closely, <laughs> on Linux and OS X as well, and that's pretty big, right? Well, they... They announced the preview was available for download on Linux and Mac, and the the release candidate for Windows. Um, they've actually had kind of previews available for some time now. Um, they one of the things they did with the announcement was they changed the name of some of the controls. So they they were calling stuff like K and KVM, you know, some of the command line tools before. They they've kind of renamed them to uh, DNX for like .NET extension or .NET something. I, I don't exactly remember, but they, they've like changed a lot of the commands that they were using before to like more formalized what they're going to be for the final release. Um, they actually released the first couple of previews for .NET Core a couple months ago when they started announcing a partnership with Mono. So Mono was an open source uh, .NET replacement that's been around for many years on the Linux platform and on the Mac platform and Microsoft started partnering with them to uh, share APIs, share test code and start sharing some of the implementation stuff and Mono pretty quickly kind of dumped some of the code they had written and were starting to use Microsoft provided code and you know so now what Microsoft's trying to move towards is the JVM type model where 
you know, there's a .NET platform running on pretty much any device you want, and you can start writing C Sharp and VB and run it anywhere. Um, so especially it, some of the ASP components like ASP5 and MVC, they've started kind of redoing that to run on .NET Core so that it's available and you can host ASP websites on a Mac or on a Linux machine. Am I understanding correctly or am I way off if I say this is the other side of the street to the Android and iOS conversation we we're having? So if I understand correctly, are we saying that um, Visual Studio will now enable people who program in Objective-C for iOS and in Java or C++ uh, for Android to say, okay, now that can run on Windows. But this .NET Core is also saying if you develop in C Sharp or Visual, Visual Basic, you can now have your apps run on Linux and Mac. Is that is that how yes. this would work? Yes. Oh, so this is a two-way street. Developers, uh, are they, are, do you think they're pretty so, happy about this? Well, I mean, yeah. If you're a .NET developer, your potential market tripled I guess you know you know if you're a .NET developer you probably primarily wrote on Windows and you primarily wrote for Windows and the websites you designed with ASP had to be hosted on Windows I mean yeah there was a mono plugin that allowed ASP sites to run on Apache on the Linux machine but it kind of wasn't fully supported this is going to be a Microsoft fully supported .NET running on Linux and on Mac you can now write apps for the Mac on .NET. And did did Microsoft, um, to be grandiose about this, did Microsoft just tear down the Berlin Wall of ecosystems? I I did not expect all this stuff coming from Build. Right. Like I I mean I knew that they announced .NET Core and I knew that they were working on bringing .NET to Linux and Mac. Mono had been out there for years. It ran on Linux and Mac. They, I think, wanted to standardize that and and embrace open source a little bit more. The part that kind of caught me off guard as a developer was, hey, we're going to let you run iOS and Java apps on Windows, that you know, or the Windows Store or the Windows Phone. That's the part that I didn't see coming. So, but yeah, it, it definitely looks like it's kind of a two-way street. Because Apple is certainly not interested in doing any of this yet. Google's not interested. I mean, those two are fighting over, sometimes they won't even make apps for each other's platform, and they, they have all said basically hell no to Windows. And well, here comes Microsoft are... saying, hey, now we're all on even footing. Anybody can make for anything using any technology they know. This is, well, okay, um... Backing up a little bit, I know for sure for like game development and some of the framework stuff, uh, Xamarin has some tools that they've released that let you write C sharp and let you write a C sharp app. Wasn't there talk about Android. Microsoft potentially investing in Xamarin recently? Huh? Uh, wasn't Microsoft uh, potentially rumored to invest in Xamarin and then it fell through at the last minute, or they did, you know? It I turned don't know, out to but not I know be like true. Ten years ago, Xamarin was the company behind Mono, the original implementation of of .NET on Linux. Oh, okay. And then, like, I think that company failed, and a new company rose from the ash and just, uh, you know, Xamarin. But um, Xamarin has a tool they sell that lets you write C sharp apps that run on iOS, Windows, and Android. So, so they would sell a tool that does that. Unity, like a game engine, lets you write like your game logic I think in Lua or JavaScript or even C sharp and you can have it target like iOS or Android or Windows um, and then there's another third party kind of uh, open source library called Cocos 2DX uh, they have a Cocos 2D that's an Objective-C and you write iOS apps but they have a Cocos 2DX that uses C++ so this isn't can, necessarily you can write Windows, Mac, iOS or Android or anything in between and it, you use one set of code you know your C sharp or C++ classes and then it has this framework that runs on each of the the target environments and kind of runs your code so this isn't anything new it's just on a larger scale uh, it, it's it's coming from Microsoft as opposed to some third party. What about um, Visual Studio? So Visual Studio 2015 has been uh, talked about. You know, that's from before Build. Um, but Visual Studio Code, 
uh, light web editor was announced and code will run on windows. Uh, that's what they're calling the software visual studio code. Uh, that little editor will run on windows, Linux and OS X will future versions of visual studio. Uh, the full version will, will that run on, on these different operating systems as well? I don't know, but I, I think code falls a slightly into a niche market a little bit. How so? Um, so when you're designing web apps, you know, on, on a Windows platform, if you're doing ASP, usually some of your web application is mixed in with some of your middle tier and, and database logic. So right. you've got C Sharp doing stuff, pulling data from the database, doing things. And, and and also doing web pages, so you use this big Visual Studio to kind of do it all. Um, a lot of times, when I've seen applications written on a Mac or a Linux uh, platform, uh, a lot of times they're kind of glorified text editors, but they're they're really slick and nice. Like on a Mac, maybe Sublime. I, I know they also have a Windows version, but Sublime text editors is is very pretty. It's definitely a gorgeous Mac app. You know, you can have multiple files, but people edit JavaScript and CSS and HTML in it. Some people use it for, for Ruby or, or like some of the Node.js backend stuff, but they're not usually as heavy as... Would that the, also apply to things like Aptana and Eclipse? Well, Eclipse is... a. Uh, it, uh, I've seen Eclipse used for PHP editing. I've seen Eclipse used for a lot of Java editing. And sure, sometimes people use it for just HTML stuff. But, you know, when I look at a lot of the editors that I think code is targeting, it's stuff like Sublime or Text Wrangler, which is pretty much a really nice light text editor with syntax highlighting and some basic file and folder management for you know, a project of HTML and JavaScript and CSS files. I think that's what it's targeting. And, and some of those things like Sublime and Text Wrangler and um, Notepad++ maybe on the Windows side, um, uh, the Kate editor, just, just some of the really light and some of them have Git integration. They have syntax highlighting. It seems kind of like Microsoft has some of these things out, like WebMatrix. Right. But but this brings the IntelliSense that Visual Studio has. Oh, okay. Um, it brings integration with Gulp and um, Grunt. Gulp and Grunt run on Node.js. They are um, kind of automation things. Um, one of the things Visual Studio is awesome for is this NuGet package system. So if you want to use Bootstrap, you say, hey, there, there's a usually a package JSON file, which is a, a, a JavaScript kind of file uh, that, that tells you what dependencies are needed for your project. And you can say, hey, I depend on Bootstrap version 3. When you run the grunt or gulp command, it says, or the NuGet command to say, hey, go update all my packages or build my software, it'll realize that you depend on Bootstrap. It'll go out to the internet, find the latest version of Bootstrap 3, pull it down and put it in your project or put it in your folder. Oh, okay. So they've brought that, integrating it with the .NET Core, you can say, I depend on ASP. I depend on Bootstrap. I depend on you know these different libraries. It'll pull them down and, and, and add them to your project. It has some very... It's very light. It's like 50 meg install. Yeah, I mean, it was 50-something it when I installed it earlier. It, it wasn't big at all. It's tiny. It's fast. They try to have a clean editor uh, with like very basic folder and file management structures. They just try to integrate a little bit of stuff like the Git integration because on the Linux and Mac world, well, be, besides SVN, Git is where a lot of the, the code is happening. People are going to fork and do pull requests on a bunch of stuff off of GitHub. And, you know, that that's used quite a bit. Um, it allows for some debugging of stuff. So, But, you know, I, if someone's I, like me, and uh, so if you're like me and you, um, you kind of avoid some IDEs because they're a little bit too complex and even sometimes intimidating, you know, I tend to prefer text editors for that. Uh, taking a look at Visual Studio Code, it, it doesn't look anything like Visual Studio except for the color scheme. 
it's nope. very light. It's it's like a text editor. It's like Adobe Brackets or something like that. Very light, very simple, and and not um, not intimidating at all. Did you try adding uh, editing an HTML file? Like if you like it has autocomplete. No, I haven't. I haven't tried that yet. I haven't. I've just opened you know, it. It has a lot of the things you might expect that you can turn on and off. Like um, if you do an opening tag. It, it might recommend a closing tag. It, it can do bracket matching. So, like, if you're doing less or CSS, you know, you hit the key press, you can go from the closing tag back up to the opening tag. It was nice, nice syntax highlighting. I mean, yeah, I'm trying it here. It's not doing any of that for me right now. You, you can turn some of that stuff on. Yeah, I'll um, have to go look it, at it. Yeah. So, I, I guess, um, I guess that's kind of a big topic there. So moving on to um, to a couple of our remaining topics, we only have two left. First of all, um, Azure. There were some announcements about Azure at Build, primarily um, SQL Data Warehouse available as a uh, service now. So you don't have to go out and build your own corporate data warehouse on prem or or at some data center. Um, Azure will offer that as a service, and also a product called Data Lake, which is for large data sets and kind of holding. Things I still don't know if this is positioned directly against things like uh, Amazon's AWS uh, Glacier or whatever it's called. This seems to be more. It really is data warehouse stuff. Information coming in and coming out. Well, it doesn't seem like a deep freeze. The other thing I saw was something called an elastic database pool, which um, helps with some sort of database scaling and, and minimizing instances when they're not needed. Um, I again, I haven't done a lot with Azure. That's going to be of, big for uh, app developers and game developers, especially. Well, no going downtime back to the on consumer launch day. side of things. The Xbox One is supposed to be running part of the Windows 10, you know, upcoming kernel. Right, and, and it's supposed to be part of Windows 10, and some of the back end things that the Xbox One is supposed to leverage is, you know, all based on Azure services. So all this just integrates in, into each other. Um, anything else to say on that one? Well, I mean, they really hyped uh, the scale of Azure, like how many instances they had running. I, they, they spent a lot of time, actually, in their keynote talking um, just about how much Azure's grown and how big it is. And they said they had something like uh, 19 different sites, which was more than... Um, AWS and um, Google combined. Well, I'll tell you that AWS is still a, a hell of a lot easier to use. <laughs> yeah, that's it, my it, only thing. Everything on Azure you have to be a developer for and practically do through Visual Studio. Um, the the stats they listed were they had more than a million Azure servers, or Azure manages more than a million servers. They had fifty trillion objects stored in it. 425 million Active Directory users and 3 million registered devs. Wow. Now, you know, again, I have not learned much about Azure, and these are the statistics that they were quoting um, during the, the build uh, press conference. Seems like they really want to target AWS, which is still the largest, and uh, Microsoft has Amazon in their sites, I think. Um, so finally... Uh, Office. Office is going to get a new set of APIs. Uh, this has kind of been slowly evolving over the past year or two, but um, the idea of some new APIs b behind Office is, uh, according to Satya Nadella, the, the CEO of Microsoft, uh, the idea is to stop people from moving between applications, right? I'm going to go over here and I'm going to copy all of this and paste it into Excel. And then I'm going to go grab this address and I'm going to put it into to Outlook in my calendar and 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 then I'm going to jump to you know to Bing Maps or something and and chart out the directions to get there, and and the idea is to get people from moving around all of these apps to having to do things to simply be able to work concisely and quickly and efficiently in one single place. Now my interpretation of that, um, because of course they say this is going to work cross-platform as well, like everything new Microsoft does, uh, right. as of the past couple of months. But my view on this is, yeah, they, they want to streamline and make you more efficient, but they really want you looking at Office and not deviating out of it, right? It's all about locking in your eyes to, uh, locking in those eyes to uh, Office. 
the example that it looked like they did during build was the integration between Uber and Outlook. Uh, like if you if you needed to get to an appointment and you were going to use Uber, you would have an Uber pop-up show right in your Outlook, like a, a ride reminder. And that's if you're going to uh, get a ride or provide a ride? Right, if you were going to get a ride. Like I needed to get to this meeting and I scheduled an Uber ride. The Uber event would get added automatically into your Outlook calendar and you would get a notification on your phone. Right. And, and on your desktop. And I've seen a lot of great applications with Excel. My, you know, my primary focus in Office is Excel. And I think this is really nice. There have been a lot of custom projects that I've done for clients that require all these custom macros and everything else. And we're pulling data from here and there. And we still can't get rid of the manual processes um, that are required when an organization tries to make Excel run like an application. And so with Office APIs, it's gonna it's just so much easier. Either I can do it or I can hire a developer, and we can create some type of code that does all these data pools and does all this automation without the need of, of bogging folks down um, with, with stuff that's not really necessary um, inside of the Excel spreadsheet anyway. Write that code out in C-sharp and then uh, port the result into Excel for, uh, for analysis and reporting. Yeah. All right, so we've covered the consumer side of everything, and we've consu- uh, we've covered the uh, developer side of everything now. Um, Chris, anything else, or or really any one thing, uh, yeah. stand out about Microsoft that um, that you'd like to uh, end this segment with? I know that there's been some high-profile departures from Microsoft recently. Um, some on the Xbox side, some on the the Windows side. There was that tra- tragic loss of the inventor of the HoloLens a couple months ago. I think he got... Yeah, it was a car accident. Yeah, he got hit by a car. Um, it, a lot of the announcements I'm seeing is it, it seems like a continuation of Microsoft's efforts to change the heading of a huge ship. Like, if you look back a few years, it sounds like they've been trying to to steer the ship change the direction of this big thing and it's taken many years to start to to turn it um back to ie8 and 9 they really were kind of saying screw you guys we're going to do our own thing you know we've got ie8 and ie7 and i6 you know we don't need standards we'll do our own thing and they've they've definitely started shifting directions to be more open source over the years to be more adopting of other uh technologies and now it 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 definitely looks like they're trying to embrace the Android and Java, C++ type stuff, uh, iOS type stuff. They even um, announced a Visual Studio project to make Minecraft mods. Like they want to get people um, moving towards Microsoft and moving towards Windows. And they, they it definitely sounds like they're putting a lot of effort into getting their stuff on other platforms and getting other platforms technology onto theirs. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know how I feel about it. Some of the stuff is very ambitious to HoloLens. I don't see myself personally using it. I think the idea is awesome. I mean, I personally want like a Oculus Rift to play games on, but I don't know if I can do that with a HoloLens. Um, the, the phone's kind of a cool idea, but I, I like the app availability on Android and iOS, so I don't know if I could personally switch to a Microsoft phone. Um, I like the idea of Corton or of Continuum, but I don't think I'd ever buy a phone dock to use it as a PC. So I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't entirely know who they're targeting on some stuff, but this is a developer conference, so it is showing off everything and kind of seeing what people can do with it. They sure. also have Windows 10 on. Uh, Arduino and Raspberry Pi. They even want the embedded market. Well, Chris, thanks for joining me uh, to talk about Build 2015 today. Uh, thank you for your insight, and uh, as always, pleasure to talk to you. No problem.
this is Multinew Media.